Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of the Better Off Podcast. Today, we're talking insurance with Jennifer Fitzgerald of Policy Genius. Typically, when somebody comes to us for a life insurance need, uh, they just uh, have experienced a big life event, typically having a kid or getting married, buying a home. So they're not just thinking about life insurance in a vacuum. They are also thinking about 529 plans and wills. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. You know, it's September. So I know what you're thinking. I know it's September, Jill, because September is Life Insurance Awareness Month. I have it on my calendar. All right, maybe you don't. But to mark the occasion, we have a great guest today. Jennifer Fitzgerald is the CEO and co-founder of Policy Genius. Jennifer worked in the financial services industry. She had a bit of a light bulb moment that helped her launch this company. So Policy Genius began with life, long-term disability, uh, renter's insurance, and pet insurance. Four products. The thing that's so cool is that it's easy to use. Here we go. We're celebrating Life Insurance Awareness Month with Jennifer Fitzgerald of Policy Genius. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Jennifer Fitzgerald, the CEO and co-founder of Policy Genius. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be on. Okay. So uh, here's the deal. Start the show every week, same way. Best financial or career decision that you've ever made? Uh, That one's easy for me. I think both the best career and financial decision was actually leaving my full-time job at McKinsey and starting this company uh, that I'm currently still running, which is Policy Genius. Okay. So that's very good because that's a typical entrepreneurial response. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You have this very cool website that is in the insurance business. How did you come to this place? Yeah, not everybody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to start a company in the insurance industry. Yeah, I can't wait. This sounds awesome. I'm either <laughs> going to do like, I'm going to create Tinder or Policy Genius. No, it was a, it was a coin toss. Uh-huh. Um, before starting the company, I worked in financial services and I did a lot of consulting work for the big insurance companies at McKinsey. And, you know, the light bulb moment for me and my co-founder, who was also at McKinsey with me, was getting hired to do the same project again and again with these insurance companies. So they kept asking us, how do we engage younger consumers? What do we do about the fact that our um, insurance agent sales force is aging? The average age of an insurance agent in the U.S. is 59 years old. Uh, And most people, certainly most people under the age of like 45, have never had an agent, are interested in an insurance agent, but they still have a need for life insurance and disability insurance and the products that these agents sell. So, you know, the fact that the main distribution channel is still the brick and mortar agent was just you know pretty indicative of uh, of a larger issue that we felt like we could solve and when you say you know the light bulb moment how do we engage younger consumers is it hard to talk to an established industry like insurance and basically smack them around and say well here's what you're doing wrong I mean, in other words i know people who've worked in as consultants to a lot of these places and they present these gorgeous recommendations never to be implemented. So what is the problem? Are they scared that they're going to cannibalize their own business and that's the the reluctance there? I think that's part of it. So some of the insurance companies that have big 
captive uh, agent forces, right, are certainly concerned about channel conflict and not wanting to upset their agents by going direct to the consumer. So that's one concern. I think the second barrier to change is, you know, a lot of these insurance companies are public companies, right? And they're held to quarterly earnings. And there's not a big built-in incentive to take a big risk and make, you know, a, a new strategic direction. You just basically want to keep, you know, uh, returning good uh, earnings to your shareholders and not want to rock the boat too much. Um, one interesting way that I heard it described was that most insurance company CEOs are like 16 quarters away from retirement. So, you know, it's not it's not their problem to solve. That's so depressing. But a good news for you because you started this company. So you started it when? Uh, in 2014. So tell a little bit about the the origin story of the company itself. Your partner, co-founder, mm-hmm. also a McKinseyite. Yep. Tell us about that person. So he, uh, his name is Francois Delam. He was. Oh, you uh, just wanted a French guy. You just got to throw the French. <laughs> South victor- African. South oh, African. Okay, so he's South African mm-hmm. with a French name. Yes. And is he French? By lineage? No, his father is Belgian, which is where the French surname and first name. Okay, so you and Francois, your Mm -hmm. buddies Mm -hmm. at McKinsey? Mm -hmm. So we were on the same teams. And what happened? How did this start? Uh, So we started, um, you know, actually it was more of his brainchild. He worked at a couple startups when he was in business school and really had that entrepreneurial bug. I didn't. I was pretty happy at McKinsey. I was probably, you know, a year or so off from making partner and, you know, life was life was pretty good as far as consulting went. We were getting hired to um, think uh, through the um, Affordable Care Act strategy for these mm. insurance companies. So this was around 2011, 2012. Um, when the Affordable Care Act had just been passed, but it hadn't been implemented yet, right? And Mm. so nobody knew what these exchanges were going to look like, what products were going to be on there. Um, And so McKinsey had built a practice. So they had uh, built an exchange simulation with real consumers, multiple products. And so we were helping big insurance companies figure out how consumers were going to engage on these quote-unquote exchanges with them before anybody knew what they would look like, right? Mm. He said, well, if a government-run marketplace is causing this much turmoil in in the industry, why isn't there a private marketplace that does something? So that kind of got us working on nights and weekends, you know, kicking around ideas, doing research, seeing what existed out there. And that was uh, the initial origin story of Policy Genius. Tell me how it actually launches. It mm-hmm. Does it launch as mostly health insurance? Is that your focus to begin with? Or is it, I mean, now you have everything there. But what was the start? So the start, interestingly enough, um, when we launched in 2014, was four products. Life insurance, long-term disability insurance, pet insurance, and renter's insurance. So we didn't uh, start with health insurance. There was still too much uncertainty. It was the first open enrollment season uh, under the Affordable Care Act. So we were like, you know what, let's let the dust settle before we tackle health insurance. Um, So we had those four products. Mm -hmm. Uh, We wanted a mix of products that uh, were kind of bigger ticket, more complicated, like life and disability. Mm -hmm. And then smaller products that you could, you know, just buy with a credit card, uh, like renters and pet. Because we didn't know what consumers would want and what they would engage with. Our hypothesis was that pet insurance was going to go through the roof, right? Right. Um, And it was life insurance. Wow. It took off as our number one product. Immediately. Mm -hmm. And was it Term Life was the first? Term Life. So when I look at the website right now, which is policygenius.com, and I click on life insurance, there's Term Life, Level Term Life, Return of Premium Life Insurance, No Medical Exam Life Insurance, and the evil whole life insurance. Mm. So let's talk about this for a second. Yep. 
Explain what return of premium life insurance is. So return of premium life insurance is just a regular level term policy where if you outlive the term, you get the premiums refunded to you. And so it costs a little more. It costs more. Do you help people understand whether or not they should have one versus the other? of the, we Say do. the top three. Term level return of premium. Is there a little way that we... I see the quotes. Mm-hmm. But what about the analysis? So we have a couple different ways. We believe in the channel of choice for our consumers. So some people, uh, particularly our consumers, very strong Mm do-it-yourselfer, right? They want to read the content. They want to use the tools. They want to become self-informed before they talk to anybody, right? So we've got great content on our site, a lot of calculators, do-it-yourself tools, uh, the ability to really dive in for those uh, detail-oriented DIYers. Um, and then we have, you know, a full team on the back end of CFPs, licensed insurance agents for somebody who wants to get on a chat, get on the phone, you know, send in a text message. So, again, it's channel of choice. Some people, you know, really love online chat. Some people want to get on the phone um, because this is not a purchase you make every day. So why Whole Life? So Whole Life uh, was a recent addition. Um, and, you know, if you read the content on our site, talk to our team, um, we will, you know, be very upfront and say for most people who need life insurance, term life is the way to go, right? Um, however, we do get um, onto our site and into our uh, channels high net worth clients who do mm-hmm. have estate planning needs. So um, we were just as surprised as the next person that, you know, these folks were coming through who, you know, had legitimate estate planning needs and wanted whole life, uh, were financially savvy, knew the difference, knew uh, the fees that were involved in a whole life policy. So again, we don't do a lot, but it's there and we have a really good CFP team who knows how to, um, you know, handle uh, the affairs of these larger, higher net worth clients. So how many people on your CFP team? So we've got um, on our CFP disability advanced planning team about six people. That's great. I'll just say the permanent insurance has a use case. It's just very small number of people. Very rare. Okay. So you deal with only certain companies Mm -hmm. and you obviously have some financial arrangement with these. So how does that work? So we are a licensed broker in all 50 states and D.C., and that means we get the company gets paid a commission on the insurance policies we sell. Um, the commission's pretty comparable across all of our companies. Um, we don't favor one company over another, and our site actually forces that transparency because you can see what the rates are, right? So assuming you put in accurate information about your health profile, you'll see right there, and you choose which company you want to go with. Um, what I found interesting about that is that you have access to some policies that are normally only sold through their captive agents like a Northwestern Mutual. Mm -hmm. Has that changed in the digital age? You see, so some uh, are still uh, strictly sold through captive agents. So State Farm on the auto insurance side, New York Life uh, will still only work through their captive agents. But um, what we've seen is, you know, a a lot are relaxing and they have independent and captive channels, Mm -hmm. um, which again, is just better for for the consumer. You added on auto insurance, and you added on health. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more. I mean, because those are two huge categories, which are probably the vast majority of people need. Mm-hmm. So, okay, 155, 6 million people get their health insurance through their employers. How many people are buying health insurance privately through 
places like Policy Genius? So the the last estimates I saw, it's not a lot in terms of population wise, maybe like, you know, 10 to 15 million mm -hmm. um, that are the non-Medicaid, non-Medicare individual and family shoppers. Um, but it's increasing, right? You know, fewer people are um, staying at jobs for a long time. You've got the rise of the gig economy, the self-employed worker, the freelancer. So uh, it's small but growing. And for those people who leave that you know, W-2 job and strike off on their own for their first time, this is a very intimidating and complicating thing to tackle. How does this work based on the exchange? Mm -hmm. How do you how does that incorporate or not incorporate here? That's a great question. So we um, so sites like ours um, that offer uh, private health insurance, um, you typically plug into the exchange. So every plan that's available on your state exchange in your zip code, we've got we also have. Uh, because health insurance can't be simple, off-exchange plans. So these are plans that still have to comply with the Affordable Care Act, but um, because they're sold, quote-unquote, off the exchange, there's a little bit more flexibility in terms of pricing and, mm. and plan design. So we've got on- and off-exchange plans. Um, there's no quote-unquote price savings by buying anywhere else uh, like any insurance you know it's it's regulated uh, the insurance plans are f and rate tables are filed with the state regulator so you know you buy a Cigna plan from us or your state exchange it's the same price so right? it's good so they, no one has to worry if you're like oh my god I'm Affordable Care Act I can still go to Policy Genius get the exact same thing mm -hmm. probably more easily I bet your interface much, is much, much nicer much more easily and that is you know what we pride ourselves on is creating really good experience for the again the DIY shopper. Uh, for health insurance in particular, there's no, I think the thing that's really confusing about health insurance is people think that, you know, there's a right answer for them or this magical plan that's going to have no deductible and it's going to be cheap. It's not. Health insurance is a series of trade-offs, mm. right? There's no silver, silver bullet answer, right? Do you want lower deductibles or do you want a higher premium, right? Do you want a, a big doctor network or do you want a lower premium, right? So we walk you know, the consumers walk themselves through those, you know, handful of decisions that they have to decide. Um, mm -hmm. And that narrows down the, the plans to choose from. On the auto insurance side, um, I love that you have ride share insurance, which mm -hmm. is brilliant, rental car insurance, which is usually the worst deal in the world when you're at the checkout counter, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, usually, usually your credit card covers it. Under your more products, I'm interested by this. Um, identity theft insurance. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So um, these are plans where you pay, you know, anywhere from $8 to upwards of $20 a month that uh, have uh, um, risk monitoring on all the credit bureaus for you um, that help you, um, you know, if your identity is, is stolen, uh, it helps you recoup some of the cost of, you know, fight that in court or rebuild that. So um, it's an increasingly you know, a popular product, you know, given all the breaches sure. that are happening out there. But it's also funny because like homeowners is under the other. So is this mm -hmm. mean, I think homeowner's insurance is so weird because you can go out and, and say, okay, I want coverage, and you can get a humongous range. That's interesting. We actually just uh, started uh, piloting our auto and home insurance coverage. So we don't have a live marketplace on the site for auto and home like we do for life or health or pet. Um, what we're piloting right now and getting great feedback on is a more concierge service. So we've got an auto and home team. Do I have the right level of coverage? Um, should I also have umbrella on top of my homeowner's insurance? By the way, I'm insurance? a huge fan of the umbrella. Yeah, so, so cheap and easy. $200 a year and, you know, an $2 million dollars of 
coverage exactly. or something. It's fabulous. Um, so what we've been doing is, you know, you fill out a form online. Our team will prepare, um, do the analysis for you, right? So do you have the right amount of coverage? And then the recommendations are, can we get you more coverage for the same price? Um, or, you know, the same coverage for a lower price, right? Which is, at the end of the day, what you want as a homeowner. Do you, when in that concierge service, when we have rich people who call in and I'm like, you're underinsured, you know, I they'll say, well, what do I do? And so, like, offline, I'll be like, well, I mean, Chubb is kind of like mm-hmm. this big standard bear. Do you deal with the high-end guys? We do. And gals? Yeah, we do. So Chubb, as you mentioned, AIG, uh, they're typically for those are the two. Those are the two right? big ones. Travelers a little bit for um, the wealthier uh, segment, but Chubb and AIG for you know your big homes, expensive cars. So um, yeah, we deal across the spectrum. This is better off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Jennifer Fitzgerald in just a minute. And you know when you're looking at insurance, you want to make your life easy. When you're looking at your investments. You don't want it to just be easy. You want it to be smart. I mean, after all, you're not the average investor. So why settle for the same old average investing? Now there is a smarter way to manage your money. Betterment. Betterment is an online financial advisor for people who refuse to settle for average. Betterment uses cutting edge technology to build personalized portfolios and help you make more from your investments. Then they guide you along the way with advice to help you make smart financial decisions. All of this for one low, transparent fee. Plan for retirement. Reach your financial goals. Make the most of your money. Don't settle for average investing. Demand better. Investing, of course, it involves risk. But Better Off listeners can get up to one year managed free by visiting Betterment.com slash better off that's betterment.com slash better off and now back to our interview with jennifer fitzgerald you also have long-term care insurance Mm. on here which i think is just a wild market right now yeah the actuaries really screwed up long-term care insurance in the early days Mm -hmm. because they i guess they didn't realize how much health care prices would rise but mm. also they didn't understand how long certain illnesses lasted yeah and think that was the other piece of it right yeah so they underpriced long-term care insurance so we have this you know teeny tiny it's not huge but a, a generation of people who purchase long-term care policies and then within uh, 10 years maybe 15 years they are told that the premium they thought they were going to pay is going to rise by some ridiculous 3x amount right right and they're freaking out they don't know what to do mm-hmm. so if someone's in that situation right now can they come to policy genius and get your opinion about what they should do yep they can and we work with a partner on the back end who is probably the biggest agency that deals with long-term care insurance and to your point Jill a lot of companies have left the market because of the volatility in pricing and nobody knows what long-term care costs are going to look like right so they got a lot of the underlying assumptions incorrect the other thing that they underestimated was uh, how long people were going to hold on to the policies, right? So typically when you price insurance, you factor in some lapse assumptions that not everybody's going to hold on to their policy for 10 years. You're going to see some lapse
lapse before then, and people weren't lapsing um, as much as they thought they would, right? So, and they were drawing on the benefits more than they expected. So, mm. because of that, you had a lot of the big companies like John Hancock, for example, exit the market. Jennifer, when you look ahead, uh, you know, you it seems like you've got this wonderful website. It's chock full of information. You've got lots of products. It's insurance only. Is that the hope? Is that the, you say, you know, we're sticking to insurance. We could do mutual funds. We could do robos. We could do whatever we want. It's just insurance? For the moment, yes. I can't see us go ever going down the path of building our own robo-advisor or getting into mutual funds. Um, what we are thinking about in our testing with consumers is a little bit more on the financial planning side, right? So typically when somebody comes to us for a life insurance need, uh, they just uh, have experienced a big life event, typically having a kid or getting married buying a home. So they're not just thinking about life insurance in a vacuum. They are also thinking about 529 plans and wills and, you know, a home mortgage. So um, I think there is a, a big need for um, really good financial planning and advice for the DIY consumer that we get. There's nothing great out there. A lot of it's around, you know, budgeting and kind of tracking stuff. So we've all seen uh, those uh, software programs and those apps. They're great at giving you a snapshot point in time of like, here's everything you spent on your credit card and here's what's in your bank account, but nothing really that's around planning and advice. What are the plans for Policy Genius? Tell us all about how you're getting rich beyond belief. <laughs> I am not personally getting rich beyond what? belief. What? No. All right. So you put your own money. You guys, the two founders, mm-hmm. you put your own, yeah, you were McKinsey IT, you had a few shekels, you start building this. Mm-hmm. Then what did you do? Tell us like the origin story of the business sure. part of it. So we bootstrapped for, I don't know, probably six to 12 months, um, raised a small friends and family round to get going. So this was like $700,000 and uh, didn't take a salary probably for the first two years of of building the company. Um, Lucky you come from such a big, wealthy family that you could draw on your trust fund. I'm kidding, everyone. (laughs) She's an army brat. Air Force brat. I'm sorry. Ooh, wow. She came right back at me. A military brat is what I should have said. Military brat. But, you know, it saved a decent amount working at McKinsey for several years. So um, uh, stretched that friends and family around for well over a year. We were incredibly frugal uh, about what we did with the cash. Uh, Had a very small team that we launched with. Um, Then about mm, a year and a half after launch, we raised our first round of venture capital. Interestingly, insurance is quote unquote hot now in venture capital and tech. It was it was not, I assure you, five years ago when we first started uh, talking to investors. But insurance is uh, is a big thing now. Okay. Um, so then what? You got that venture difficult. round. You yeah. got a ton of money. Uh, we got five million in 2015. Yeah. Um, and uh, started building, adding new products, expanding the team. Did you take a salary at that point? We, for God's sake, I did take a oh, salary at that good. point. <laughs> So now that was 2015, which is three years later. Yeah. Now what? And so we've raised a couple rounds of funding since then, um, a little over $50 million in total. Um, and, you know, that goes to uh, expanding the team, uh, marketing more, you know, subway campaigns in New York City, um, uh, hiring software engineers to, to build the platform. So, um, yeah, so for us, it's, you know, uh, getting our name out there, getting the brand out there, building more product. Um, and, you know, making sure that we deliver a great customer experience in an industry where often the experience isn't great. Yeah. 
That's the understatement of the century. Uh, either I can get hosed or I can go to Policy Genius. Those are my two choices. <laughs> What's your hope for this company? I mean, do you want to go the go the distance and IPO this sucker? Do you want to sell it to a great other financial service firm? What, what do you want to do? Um, we want to build a big company, right? So the strategy for either of those exits uh, isn't mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. but... You know, I'm under no illusion, you know, it is expensive to build a financial services company, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can either keep raising private capital or you can raise public capital or you can, you know, tap into the balance sheet of a much bigger partner, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't know which is the right answer for us. I do know that, you know, (laughs) we're going to need more money to build the company that um, I know that we can build. And, you know, you see big digital first players in every other financial services vertical. It hasn't yet emerged for insurance. Mm. I think we're probably uh, in the strongest position to get there. But, you know, it's still there's still a lot of road ahead of us. How many employees do you have now? We got a, uh, about a 130. How do you like running a company? Uh, it's really hard. <laughs> it's it's kind of thankless, isn't it? Really it really is. I mean, I don't want to be, oh, poor Jennifer. I know, that was me. She's um, an entrepreneur in an amazing space, raised 50 million bucks, got a huge company, but it's a hard job, isn't it's it? It's a hard job, and I'm in a, um, a CEO pod of uh, similar-sized companies. We meet every other month for a few hours, uh, and, yeah, it's really hard. You've got the board, you've got, um, you know, you're the one who has to put your neck on the line for big strategic bets. You know, mm-hmm. you're the one who uh, has to be accountable if you're not meeting your revenue targets. You're the one who has to think about keeping the lights on, money in the bank. Um, employee issues tend to bubble up to you. Um, it's a lot to How juggle. do you split the responsibilities with your co-founder? Great question. Uh, so we're both on the board. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm the CEO, so I handle a lot of the- Boss. <laughs> I handle a lot of the finance, internal functions. Uh, strategy, strategic partnerships. Uh, he, up until recently, had uh, built our marketing function mm-hmm. um, and now has uh, taken over the product side. So building all What does our... he know about product? Um, Enough? Yeah, he's well, been... He'll figure it out. Yeah. So when you look ahead, what are the parts of being the boss that you want to shed? Because obviously, the most important thing for you to be doing is to deal with your damn board, because mm-hmm. those are your bosses, mm-hmm. and strategy. Right. But you're probably doing a lot more than that. So you have a CFO? I have a head of finance, yep. But you need to upgrade that and make that a CFO At some point. At some point, yeah. Not yet. Not yet. What do you love to do that you don't want to let go of and you know you should? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I'm sure the people who work for me have a different answer. <laughs> I don't care. They're not here. Do. <laughs> we'll do a group meeting some other They're time. Like, I wish she was out of the numbers and not <laughs> looking over my shoulder about the numbers. Get out of my face, Jennifer. Um, yeah, that's probably the answer they'd give. I don't. I love being in the numbers. I like being in the weeds, right? Yeah. Um, I love... Um, you know, some I think some leaders love to be hands off as soon as possible. I still get in and, you know, listen to calls from customers. I look at customer tickets. I'm in the numbers. Um, I don't get to do that as often uh, as I used to, but I still do it every morning. I, you know, set aside 45 minutes. And I'm in the numbers. I'm in the tickets. Um, just keeping a, a finger on the pulse of what's happening. Are you profitable right now? No. Look at her face. No. (laughs) What are you, nuts? I just thought I'd ask. I mean, it begs the question, right? Are you into the marketing part because he did that or are you not that into it? Yeah, I am. Uh, I love love it because we have a great marketing team. Marketing for us is uh, both advertising as well as content strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, early, early in the days when it was just a handful of us, um, I used to write some of our content. So 
um, marketing for us uh, is a big piece of how we get our voice out there. Um, insurance is a very crowded vertical. You've got Geico and Progressive with billions of dollars of above the line advertising and budget. And cute little advertisements. Yeah, it's great. Right. Yeah. But you can pay more and go to them, or yeah. you can pay less and come to us at Policy Genius. Yeah. So I love. Uh, being in the marketing uh, part of the business because that's where I think we've got an edge over a lot of the big incumbents. We started the interview with Jennifer Fitzgerald by asking her best financial decision, which was bailing out of McKinsey, starting your own company. Mm -hmm. What about the worst? It was probably also that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a balance sheet thing. That's just that's just like that. You went from liquid to non-liquid assets. Exactly. Uh Um, And until until we can liquidate these assets, you know, I still have a very high opportunity. (laughs) I think it's fantastic. And anything that we can do to help promote you and this business, I think it is so great. And you are a great CEO. You are really filling a need that is necessary. And we're lucky to have you today. So thanks for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you. (laughs) You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. It's time for the listener question of the week. Remember, you've got two chances to get on the air with us. We do a question after our interview segment on Thursdays, but we also drop the Better Off bonus call of the week every Tuesday. So it's so easy. All you need to do is to give us a holler. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's what Dave did. He is on the line from Chicago. Hello, Dave. Welcome to the show. What can we do for you? So, Jill, uh, I have a car loan that I just paid off. Um, so I'll have uh, about 400 or so dollars more available every month. So I want to uh, uh, put that money towards some type of uh, taxable retirement savings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to kind of get your advice on what are some good options uh, to do that, whether, you know, some type of ETF or mutual fund or something like that. That's uh, great. Well, first of all, congratulations on paying off the car loan. That's good. Thank you. Are you maximizing your 401k right now? Yes. 401k and uh, IRA, both of those. Okay. So you got both. Are you single or married? Married. Okay. And is your spouse contributing to retirement as well, or is it just on you? Uh, she is. Okay, very good. Um, You've got your emergency reserve. You've paid your debt off. Uh, You own a house? Yes. Okay, great. Do you have any kids yet? Yes, we have about uh, 100,000 saved for each of them. Whoa, you're ahead of the game. So you don't have to worry about that. So this is just $400 a month of extra money that has to go someplace. Have you ever invested, besides the um, kids stuff, have you ever invested outside of retirement? No. You know what? You're in rarefied territory because most people haven't done all the hard work that you've done. And it sounds like you're in very good shape. So uh, where are your IRA accounts right now? The IRA accounts are at, uh, most of them are at Vanguard. Okay, great. Uh, So you like the Vanguard platform and that works for you, right? mm -hmm, Okay. And do you mostly use index funds? Yes. Okay. So I think that you can do a couple of different things. One is you could, you know, basically squirrel away a whole bunch of money in this Vanguard account, and then you could potentially tap it at some point to do something else. But for right now, I might just pick a few different index funds. Maybe maybe I would just start with two. Maybe I would start with the extended stock market index and a bond index fund and and put some money in 
to each of those. Some of them have minimums, so you may have to build up some cash first. So you just have to check that out. The other thing you can do is you could do a target date fund and just make it easy and say, ah, I'll just do one fund. I'll get some money together there. Take the money, you know, my $400 a month will go into the Vanguard, whatever, 2050 fund, go from there. And, you know, of course, I should mention that we are sponsored by Betterment. You could easily also do something with an independent online financial firm like Betterment. So I would I would investigate those options. Again, it's it, you're probably not going to make any big mistake here. This is a wonderful problem to have. I would not use an exchange-traded fund. I would not buy an annuity. I would just use a plain old stock bond index platform and keep your costs down, have the liquidity, and that is exactly what I would do. Awesome. That's very helpful. All right. Great. So uh, if you have any other questions, you can let us know. If you do use Betterment, don't forget to use betterment.com slash better off because you might be able to get up to one year managed for free. See, I worked that right in there. Hey, thanks for calling, Dave. Great to talk to you. Good luck. Thank you so much, Jill. Take care. Thanks so much to Jennifer Fitzgerald of Policy Genius. Don't forget, we drop new episodes of Better Off every Tuesday and Thursday. The easiest way to get it is to simply go to the place where you get your podcast and subscribe. You know, anywhere. Apple, Google Play, Radio.com, Stitcher, wherever. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is the best executive producer, even when he's in Italy. We are distributed by Cadence 13, and we're sponsored by Betterment. See you next week.